Nice to see you. Lots of good food. Actually, it isn't good. It just tastes good. But it's, it's okay. Don't deny yourself a little fun. The sugar awaits. <laughs> Lots of good stuff over there. Help yourself and naps are permitted. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. Great to see everybody. So uh, in the last hour during uh, the class preliminaries, I, uh, I got a uh, text message all the way from Israel. Have you heard of it? Israel. And uh, I, I'm new to these crazy phones, but they're quite wonderful uh, in many respects. And the text message was from a missionary in Israel who, Lord willing, a small group of us from Sagemont will be in cahoots with on June 13th. Uh, I see Rachel over there. It was from Moran and Meir. So she knows because we went in Jan January, Rachel and I, and I can't s I think I saw Anita here, Anita. So this was from one of our uh, missionaries who you, I'm pleased, will uh, get to meet and you'll enjoy him. Uh, anyway, they're uh, just talking about the situation of the day and the Israeli response and how we could pray for believers in the land and so on. Anyway, I got started on this in the last hour, and I couldn't stop. So <laughs> I uh, subjected the first class to uh, a subject matter they didn't come for, because we're supposed to be in Luke. And uh, I, I'm actually prepared, uh, but we'll be next week for sure, because <laughs> I think I'm going to set aside the text just for today because uh, there are just things on people's minds and um, including mine. And so I would, I would just like to, to share some thoughts in no particular order and you, you certainly are free to as well. Maybe as we get rolling here, there'll be some questions that are stirred up or statements you'd like to make and uh, you're, you're welcome to do so. So the missionary <coughs> simply said, uh, can you pray for us? Because <coughs> uh, it's a time of unsettledness in the Middle East, <coughs> as you know. And they want us to pray that there'd be marvelous opportunities for the gospel to go forth amongst all the people groups in the land. Uh, because he so well stated, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, is the only hope. Uh, for the people groups there and for everywhere. <coughs> the one who is the most high God and seated on the throne. They refer to him as the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And they know political processes are important and God-ordained. They're not to be disrespected nor diminished, but they know ultimately it's the most high sovereign God to whom we must make recourse because he and only he can reconcile enemies, adversaries, sinners to him and then to each other. So 
That's a good thing to pray. Then they also prayed about an upcoming date, and I forgot what it was off the top of my head. But in June, uh, I don't know, I think the first week of June or something, there's an Arab uh, day which passed us May 15th, and it's called Nakba, which is an Arabic word for uh, tragedy or catastrophe. And it is used in reference to the founding of the modern state of Israel on May 14th, 1948. So every year, May 15th, the uh, Arab nations have what they call Nakba Day, a time of protest, um, in light of what they refer to as catastrophe, that the Jews are in the land. This year's was uh, caught a lot of attention. You, you might have seen on the news a number of people uh, coming from Syria and crossing uh, the border, coming through a fence on the Golan Heights from Syria into Israel, also from Lebanon uh, in the north. <coughs> and then there were uprisings in and around Jerusalem. Uh, and so... They've subsided. There was some loss of life. I believe a young Arab boy, about 17, was killed in Tel Aviv. Uh, and there was some other loss of life. Uh, but things have, to that extent, subsided, thank God. But there's another day coming up, as I mentioned, and I think it's called Nakbas Day. Nakbas. And that also is a similar word meaning catastrophe or tragedy, but in this case, with reference... Uh, to what happened in Jerusalem in 1967. Now, 1967 is a date you perhaps have not been too familiar with, but in light of our president's recent policy statement on the Middle East, you're coming to be more familiar with it, 1967. In 1967, uh, Israel was attacked. It's called the Six-Day War. It lasted six days attacked by a, no, a confederation of Arab nations, and the Israeli uh, army was able to rebuff the attack, and um, they took, Israeli paratroopers took um, control of Jerusalem so that access to its holy places, not the least of which is something we call the Wailing Wall. You know about that? They, they refer to it as the Western Wall. It's all that remains of the perimeter wall uh, holding together an earthen platform on which the Temple of Solomon once stood. So it's a very significant site, and the Jews have not actually had, had unbridled access to it in a couple thousand years. Interesting. So 1967, uh, this wasn't the plan of Israel <laughs> to be in war, but they were. <coughs> and so they were able uh, to successfully rebuff the attack and take control of Jerusalem. Uh, the Israeli paratroopers were given strict orders by their generals <coughs> not to assault what was on the Temple Mount. And uh, the Temple Mount houses an architecturally striking structure called the Dome of the Rock. It, it, it has a golden dome. You've seen pictures. Whenever you see a panorama of Jerusalem, you see this dome of the rock. Why is it called dome of the rock? It's built over a rock, bedrock, 
which Muslim people believe is the spot of two key occurrences. One, the sacrifice uh, offered by Abraham of whom? See, now that's where you Bible people are wrong. You said Isaac because you, you're just letting the Bible confuse you. See, see, if you read the Quran, the holy book of Islam, you'll find out that you people of the book, here's what's happened to your Bible. It's fallen into the hands of Jews and Christians who have mistranslated it. Therefore, you've been led astray into thinking Abraham offered on that spot his son Isaac. No, the Quran given by Muhammad um, clearly states that Abraham offered on that spot in potential sacrifice his son Ishmael, not Isaac. So you poor deceived Christians who are, are reading a distorted translation, so get it together, will you? See, it cannot be that Abraham offered Isaac, who uh, produced Jacob, and Judah, and all the rest, because that would make a very clear line of descent of promises given by God in Genesis through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on. So we've got to interfere with the line of transmission. We've got to dump Isaac and insert Ishmael into the mix so it doesn't look like the Jews are recipients of the land promise. Uh, in fact, God never did it. So that's Islam, by the way. You need to know that. And so, uh, so that's the Dome of the Rock on this site. And it's also the site which Islamic Muslim people by, believe, by the way, you know, we, we use the term Islamic people or Muslim people. We're talking about the same thing. It's just different. Islam means, is a word, an Arabic word, and it means surrender. You, you surrender to Allah. That's what it means. And so uh, Islamic or Muslim people believe that Muhammad, the great prophet, Jesus, by the way, is respected as a prophet in Muslim thinking, but Muhammad is the great prophet. Now, you poor, once again, you deceived Christians. You think, you're wrong about it. You think God has a son who died in your place. No, no, no. God has no son, and no one has atoned for your sins. Jesus did die on a cross, Islam teaches, but it wasn't a real physical body. It was an apparition a spirit. And so on this magnificent Dome of the Rock, which is just, it's beautiful, there's Arabic writing that goes around the perimeter and it's quotes from a surah or chapter in the Quran and it says what I just said, O ye people of the book, the Bible book, that's you, do not be deceived. God has no son. That's there. I don't know if you know that, but that is right there. That is called in your face. <laughs> you see? So it is thought on that site, Muhammad, the chief prophet, the greatest prophet, um, was resurrected into heaven 
on a steed, on, on a horse. And so Jerusalem, that particular spot, is the third holiest site in Islam. The first two are, do you know what the first and second holiest sites of Islam are? Mecca and Medina. What country are they in? Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Mecca and Medina, that's correct, are in Saudi Arabia. And so the third holiest site, for the reasons I told you, is Jerusalem. So the Israeli paratroopers, after 2,000 years, as a result of an attack upon them, take Jerusalem. But the generals, Moshe Dayan, you might have heard of him, was one at the time, said, you will not go up to the Temple Mount. You will not desecrate it, defile it, nor take it, for we will uh, cause the entire Muslim world to be incensed, and we need to live together. So they did not go up to the Temple Mount so as to take it, but in fact uh, gave that land territory, that Temple Mount on which sits the Dome of the Rock and a mosque called the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The Dome of the Rock is actually not a mosque. It's a memorial building right near it. Under a gray dome is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. A mosque is where there's worship and education in Islam. So <coughs> the Israeli government decided um, that land area will be handed over to the Muslim religious authority as a sovereign possession smack dab in the midst of Jerusalem, which is smack dab in the midst of the state of Israel. The equivalent would be we providing uh, land, oh, let's just say outside the uh, Lincoln Memorial. Have you been to the Lincoln Memorial? the reflecting pond, you know, over there. Let's say we just give that to the government of Iran because they have a special interest or claim to it. And then we'll post on the perimeter our uh, taxpayer-paid law enforcement so as to protect the right of access uh, to those particular people who, by the way, hate our stinking guts and want us dead. Now that's what the Israeli government has done. I want you to know this because our president is laboring under the terrible misconception that the issue in the Middle East is one of moral equivalence. I use the term, you need to know this, it's called the moral equivalence argument, meaning the two sides are equally moral and or immoral. There's an equivalence, and we just got to get them to get it together. It's not a matter of one being wrong, one being right. It's just a matter of two people, groups who hate each other's guts. They're equally culpable and responsible and so on. Now, um, I like the doctrine of, the mo of moral equivalence, except it's not based in fact. For instance, since the founding of the modern state of Israel on May 14, 1948, there have been five wars, modern-day wars in the Middle East involving multiple countries. Uh, what those countries have had in common is a common uh, 
distaste for the existence of Israel. So they've come, they're all Arab countries, they've come against Israel. Every one of those wars was inaugurated by countries other than Israel. The first was right there on the day Israel was declared by David Ben-Gurion to be a modern state. In our last trip there in January, we were in the very building, Israeli Independence Hall. It's the equivalent of our uh, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, we stood right there and listened to a recording that he in which he declared the state of Israel to be in existence. So uh, the first war was lodged against multiple Arab countries against Israel, uh, thinking this is a good time to wipe them out. It's in their infancy. How they survived is not explained in human terms. They should be gone, but they weren't. Then the succession of wars, including the 1967 war, which is now being popularized in light of our president's address. 1967 is also known as the Six-Day War because in six days it ended. Again, multiple Arab nations uh, formed a coalition to come against Israel in a surprise attack. Then there was the 1973, we call it the Yom Kippur War, Day of Atonement. That's the holiest day in Judaism. It's mentioned in Leviticus, Day of Atonement. What a good day to attack an unwary people group because all the Jews are in the synagogue on that day and also fasting all day. So they're in a weakened state. It's the equivalent of Easter to us, let's just say, where everyone comes out of the woodwork and goes to church. So that's a good time to burglarize people's homes, for instance, <laughs> in case you're wondering. I just thought I'd suggest that to you. So. <coughs> That's a good time to burglarize a whole nation because no one's home, so to speak. Um, could you please tell me what would happen if Israel attacked a Muslim nation on one of its significant holy days? You can't even draw a cartoon about Mohammed without the third jihad uh, uh, getting organized. But you can have sitcoms in our country which defame and blaspheme the Most High God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite an interesting day in which we live. But anyway, so Israel rebuffed the attack in 1967 and thus came into possession of certain territory they were excluded from for 2,000 years since A.D. 70. Why? The Roman 10th Legion under, Emperor, uh, under uh, Titus, I think his name was, uh, came to Jerusalem, burned down the temple, destroyed it, you know, threw the Jews out. So therefore, they haven't been there for, uh, as, a, as, a, as a duly constituted national group for, for thousands of, uh, of years. And what he did, it's kind of, kind of brilliant, <coughs> he renamed the land. I, it's known as the land of Canaan or sometimes the Holy Land or, or Israel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, uh, and the Roman occupiers uh, decided uh, they're going to rename it um, after Israel's perennial enemies in the Bible. Those are the Philistines. David is always fighting Philistines and Saul, you know, and, Saul, and the Philistines were like a big problem. The Philistines were not an indigenous people group. They come from um, the Greek Isles, and they are a seafaring people. They came in boats across the Aegean 
and Mediterranean Sea and landed on the Mediterranean coast of Israel. Why did they leave? Famine, earthquake, we don't know. Anyway, those are the Philistines. That's not an Arab people group. They're, they're Greek, actually, Hel Hellenistic, they're called. So, but they caused Israel a lot of problems. They had iron chariots, stuff like that. They could make metal. They were great metallurgists, metallurgists. So, so the Israel was at a disadvantage. So the Romans, centuries later, Philistines are gone. The Romans say, you know what? We're going to rename the place after the Philistines so as to be in your face, Israel. And so that's the word Philistine from which we get the word Palestine. Palestine. So when you hear the, that land called Palestine today, it's not actually accurate. <coughs> On many maps, it won't say Israel, it'll say Palestine. Call it what you want, but that's not a God-assigned name. That's a Roman emperor-assigned name, Palestine. As a result, <coughs> there is no such people group called the Palestinians. Uh, you're being defrauded of reason. <coughs> There's no such thing as a separate people group called Palestinians. How do we define a separate people group? Culture, language, national origin. There's no such thing. The so-called Palestinians are Arab peoples, many of whom have their roots in Jordan. It's called the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan because it has a king uh, in Jordan. And most of the people in present-day Gaza or West Bank <coughs> are Jordanian. <coughs> There's no language difference. It's Arabic. There's no cultural differences. Same clothes, same foods, same national origin. One of the biggest historical inaccuracies foisted upon modern-day people is the case for a separate Palestinian state. For whom? <laughs> What's the separate people group? Folks, do you know in the history of humankind the only people group not fully absorbed and assimilated into its own countries by its own people are the so-called Palestinians today. Did you know that? Let me give you for instance. I'm a Jewish guy, I don't know if you knew this. I'm a Jew <coughs> from Pearland, Texas. We have a large Jewish community of one, maybe two. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I can tomorrow go to Israel if I want to and be taken in as a citizen, full rights and privileges, because I'm a Jew. One Jewish state, that's it. There's only one Jewish state. They'll take me in, yeah, but wait a second. It's called the right of return. I can return to the land uh, as a Jew if I want to. But if I go there, wait a second, I don't have a job. I have no source of income. I don't have any housing, and I don't speak the language, it's Hebrew. I'm still working on Texan, for crying out loud. <laughs> but let's say I go there. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to put me in something called an ulpan. An ulpan is a place of language training where I'm going to be immersed in the language. 
they're going to teach me Hebrew because Jews are coming from all over the place. They speak all crazy language. I speak English. Someone comes from Yemen. Someone comes from Ireland. You may not know this, but there are many Africans who are Jews, who are Ethiopia, uh, and many Sudanese. They're not Jews, but they're fleeing terrible persecution. Israel is becoming quite an area for Sudanese refugees. But I mean, so everyone goes for the same language training. You've got different shapes and sizes and colors and all the rest, but you've got to have a common language. So they're going to teach me Hebrew. Then they're going to help me find a job. I can't find a job. And they're going to give me housing until I do. They're going to do this. The Israeli government is going to do this. It's a dinky little place. It's a dinky little government. It's got about 7.4 million people in it. Uh, of whom 1.5 million are Arab citizens of Israel. So you have a, just a little over 5 million Jews. That's it. One dinky state, 5 million little people. You know, what's the big deal? Why don't you leave us alone? What are we trying to do? you got over 20 Arab countries around. you got one little dinky Jewish state. And even there, it's only 5 point something million Jews. In the, in the Folks, how many people live in Houston? It was about four million or so. Add a little bit to that, and you got Israel. That's it, man. It's just not that many folks. So anyway, I could go there and be taken in from any country in the world. So you tell me why the Palestinian people are huddled together in in terrible poverty in Gaza, which is a strip of land. Uh, on the Mediterranean coast, Gaza. Why? I'll tell you why. Propaganda advantage. Listen to me. Our government pumps in billions, I did not say millions, I said billions of dollars in aid to the people of Gaza. But if you go to Gaza, you're wondering where's the infrastructure with all that money? Where are the good schools? Where are the hospitals? They're not there. Why? Because the money is used for armament, bomb factories in people's homes so that there can be missile attacks on Israeli residential areas. But if you go to Israel, a dinky country, you'll find state-of-the-art schools and hospitals. And not only will you find that, you'll find that they are accessible to anyone, Jews or Arabs. I was there one time, and a suicide bomber didn't do so hot. Failed. Just hurt himself pretty bad. You know what the Israelis did? They put him in an ambulance, and they took him to Hadassah Hospital, <laughs> where he was treated in the same hospital as those he injured in his failed suicide attack. Do not tell me about moral equivalence. We don't put bombs on our children to please our God, to ensure us eternity. That argument is a fallacy. I didn't say the Israeli government is above board and without sin. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to you the value system is entirely different which is why a previous prime minister of Israel, this wonderful woman, Golda Meir, once said, we will have peace when they love their children more than they hate us. 
We don't hide behind our children. We won't put our children with stones in front of tanks in order to make good news for CNN. For crying out loud, don't talk to me about moral equivalence. Show me one war in the Middle East initiated by Israel in our modern day. Show me one. Show me one Muslim nation where I can be a citizen with rights to live, to attend school, to use the medical facilities. Do you know in Israel, if you're an Arab citizen of Israel, not only do you vote, you can be elected as a member of the Israeli, the equivalent of our Congress, called the Knesset. It's kind of a parliamentary form of government. Do you know one of the Supreme Court justices in Israel is an Arab man? The only, here's a dogmatic statement, but I defy you to prove me wrong. The only true democracy in the Middle East is Israel. And that's the one the head of our democracy is turning his back on. Listen to me. If Israel goes back to pre-1967 borders, it cannot defend itself. It would mean in one part of Israel, its land area is nine miles across. You tried defending nine miles. It would mean Israel has to give back the Golan Heights. I'm an old army guy. I'm not that smart, but we know take the high ground. That's the high ground. There's an army ranger back there. Brother, you know, that's one of our first deals. You take the hill. So, so you, how do you give back the hill? Listen, when Israel didn't have the Golan Heights, it was in Syrian control. The Syrians did not use it for crops in agriculture. They used it to rain down havoc on the citizenry below. In fact, Israel had to build massive underground fallout shelters because of the frequent Syrian unannounced missile attacks. In fact, they painted them, you can see it today, in bright colors, sometimes cartoon characters, sometimes animals, so as to minimize the terror which the little children would feel. Sirens would go off, you know, all hours of the night. You got to get the kids underground. So they start singing songs. Let's sing, and we're going to go into the tunnel. Everything's going to be fine. Well, since Israel has had the Golan Heights, there have been no missile attacks on the populace in that area because of the buffer zone in occupying the Golan uh, Heights. Now, our government wants Israel to give that back. Um, okay. Well, then I guess what's going to happen next is we give back Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California to our friends in the South, the Mexican government. We took that territory. And wait a second, there's even more reason for us to do that. I'll tell you why. The Mexican government is not trying to kill us. They're our allies and friends. we got problems for sure, but good night. We're not going to attack and kill each other. But our president wants Israel to give back this land to those who still state a refusal to recognize Israel's right to exist. For instance, our president wants Israel to negotiate a two-state solution with the head of the Palestinians, who's the leader of a group called Hamas. Hamas is still on our State Department's list of terror groups. On May 15th, Nakba Day, the head of Hamas in a mosque in Gaza said 
we must pray for the destruction of Israel. A few days later, our president says, Prime Minister Netanyahu, you will negotiate peace with that man. Would we Americans negotiate peace with someone who looks us in the eye and says, you don't have a right to live? Are you kidding me? Now, our president doesn't like the fact that Israel put up a wall around the West Bank. It's called the West Bank of the Jordan River. That's where the term comes from. There's a wall around it and Gaza. Since the wall went up, the suicide bomber bombings have decreased enormously because the bombers can't come over the wall. Now, our president objects to it. The United Nations objects to it. Many so-called humanitarian organizations object to it. But the last time I checked, we've erected a wall about 300 miles long be uh, 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 between Mexico and Arizona. Now, I'm not saying we don't have border problems, but I got to tell you, dear folks, <coughs> those people coming across the border from Mexico don't want to annihilate the United States. They want to join it. They want to benefit from it. Now think what you want to about that wall. I'm just saying, let's have a consistent policy. If Israel's supposed to take down their wall, which is protecting it from those with an avowed intent to destroy it, then we ought to take down our wall, which is designed to keep out people who simply inconvenience us. Folks, it's not a consistent, it's not a consistent, it's not a consistent policy. It is absolute suicide. Now, here's the interesting thing. The United Nations and our president have said, this is not a suggestion, Israel. It is a mandate. The two-state solution, a divided Jerusalem, a joint capital, East Jerusalem for the Palestinians, the other side for the Jews, if this two-state solution, and going back to the pre-1967 war borders, if the Israeli government doesn't cooperate, it will be a mandate imposed upon it unilaterally by the United Nations and the United States. Would we allow a foreign entity to tell us what to do to that extent? We send our troops, thank God for them, to the far places of the globe to protect our borders. Thank God. By the way, in my opinion, the American military is the last vestige of conservative values we have. The American military. And it's the best. <clears throat> we send them, thank God, all over to protect us before our enemy can get to us. Israel's enemy is there. Do they not have a right to protect themselves? And how can they if they give up uh, the land, which they did not take by conquest, which they reoccupied in accordance with their biblical mandate as a result of an attack upon them by a coalition of um, 
Arab nations. So I want to tell you this. I respect the President of the United States. I do not refer to him by last name or first name. He is my President. He is President Obama. And I pray for him and his family who are gorgeous. I pray for their protection and well-being. I don't want harm to befall them. And the last time I told uh, our group on Wednesday night to pray for our president, it wasn't this president, it was two before. A lady came up to me and berated me and said, I will never pray for that man. Well, that poor lady does not understand. I don't think I fully explained what I meant to her credit. When we're instructed by Timothy to pray for those in positions of authority, it does not say pray that they be re-elected. <laughs> <coughs> nor that they prosper. It says pray for them that we may lead a life of godliness in all dignity. You pray, oh God, would you so make use of that vessel in a position of authority that your redemptive plan proceeds without limit through us, the church of Jesus Christ? Would you please put in check any governmental policies emanating from the highest office in the land which may in any way compromise your great commission program? Oh, God, would you please affect our president's heart so that policies coming from the Oval Office or from our legislators do not prejudice anything pertaining to the cause of Christ? Oh, God, we thank you that we can worship you freely. Lord Jesus, I pray for our president that you might put in his heart and mind the initiative to allow us our ongoing freedoms to worship you in spirit and in truth. That's what you pray. And then you pray, oh, God, you can work through anybody. You are the most high God. Oh, God, this man is the duly elected, appointed representative of the American people. He did not take control of his office except through legitimate means. We have who we deserve. Uh, be careful. Uh, this is due process so we can pray, oh, God, would you please work through this man? You can work through anybody because you are the most high God and then for me I don't know about you I pray also um, that he and his wonderful wife and these beautiful uh, children would in spirit and in truth be embraced by and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ don't we pray for people this way this this kind of thing now here's the deal if you don't do that, you will fail the test, which I think God has his people in today. For instance, if you succumb to contempt, cynicism, disrespect, animosity, you're no different than pagans who are also disgusted. But if you remember your lofty position chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession, 
then you can cry out to Almighty God in light of what's going on. Listen to me, a suggestion. Use the news as your prayer guide. I'll illustrate. The, in the news today is the terrible situation concerning uh, uh, men like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You watch it initially, you're filled with contempt, anger over the the deviousness, the deceit, the uh, lying and all the rest. And then you have to step back and you have to say, oh God, but for your grace, me too. So then you step up to the Christian plate and you say, here's a man, good looking, popular, famous, successful, wealthy, empty, just a shell, big holes, looking for his needs to be met in every place but from you. But, oh God, now on the verge of losing it all, oh God, would you soften his heart so that he'd call out to you in his private time. Oh God, would you mercifully extend yourself to him through somebody who's a representative of yours, just like you extended yourself mercifully to me. Oh God, wouldn't it be great if this man of such notoriety would sing your praises this side of heaven. Oh God, would you do that for your glory. And then you watch in the news this guy whose name I can't pronounce, Dominique Strauss, whatever, head of the International Monetary Fund, probably the premier candidate for the presidency of France, allegedly accosting a gal, uh, part of the uh, uh, hotel service, in uh, exclusive hotel in New York. It's contemptuous. Here comes his wife and daughter from France. And the degradation and the, the uh, dehumanization of the lady. Uh, you're here from my use kind of attitude, you know what I mean? So you get filled with all this. Then you, then you should pray, oh God, but is he beyond the pale of your forgiveness? No, no. Lord Jesus, your blood was offered even for one like that. For your glory, oh God. I pray he be a forgiven one. Lord Jesus, may your death on his behalf not be in vain. In this elevated man, being reduced to a lump of nothingness, may he find you. May his heart not be hardened but open. Oh God, let there be justice, even this side of heaven. I'm not saying he should get off the hook of the duly of due process in the land. No, but oh God, he would get off your hook by saying, come into my life, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I am a terrible sinner. Use the news as your prayer guide. Otherwise, the news will use you, eat you up, quench the Holy Spirit, make you look just like everybody else. I don't trust. I don't believe. I'm filled with contempt. Don't do that. Do you know the government is an agency of God? It's God's idea. He works through government. And so we pray, oh God, may the government do what you intended for it to do. Help the citizenry with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Protect the citizenry. Safeguard its values. We must pray that for those in positions 
of authority. Now, that doesn't mean that's all you do. The rest of what we do is the same available to everyone else. Vote, march, send letters, protest, absolutely. But the distinctive weaponry which has been, been bequeathed to us is intercessory prayer. Use that more than anything else. Now, folks, we're in a heap of trouble. Nobody's going to beat us up from the outside. Nobody. We have the best military in the world. So did ancient Rome. Where are they? They fell from the inside. We're guarding our external borders, but on the inside, we're defenseless. We are under the guise of freedom of speech, allowing people here now to speak in favor of the demise of the very land that has allowed them to come in. Now, that's not what the framers of the Constitution had in mind. Listen to me. Your right to freedom of speech must not compromise my right to be safe and to pursue life, liberty, and be given to the pursuit of happiness. I was a pastor in Baton Rouge, and a young university student came to me. He was so upset. He was taking a class at LSU. That's the flagship university of the state of Louisiana, Louisiana State University. And one of the profs was teaching on Islam. He was an Islamic man, and the Islamic man was subjecting this young student and everyone else in the class at a, uh, at a state institution supported by your tax dollars and mine, well, at least in Louisiana. Uh, he was subjecting them to anti-Israel and anti-American lectures, and I'm paying for that guy's salary. Now, that's freedom of speech gone awry. That's just called foolishness and suicide. And almost every week in the mosques in our land, there is anti-Israel and anti-American propaganda. Uh, uh, folks, last week, Charles McKinley alerted me to this. Now we all know about it. At John Hagee's church, Cornerstone, he was preaching uh, with regard to his, the Christian's mandate to support Israel. And suddenly a lady stood up in the balcony shouting out anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian sentiment, uh, dumping leaflets from the balcony down, uh, pro-Palestinian materials. His security team very discreetly removed the lady. A few minutes later, someone else over here, a man, stood up. Same disruption of the service, pro-Palestinian propaganda. This person's removed. Five minutes later, another seated somewhere else in this rather large auditorium. Uh, John Hagee, I have some theological differences with the man, but, uh, uh, but I thank God for the man and for his stand with regard to Israel. Anyway, he said, I don't care if we're going to be here till six o'clock tonight. Uh, this sermon is going to get preached. Anyway, here's my point. What if I gathered 10 of you later today and said, let's visit a mosque. We'll just go in. They'll let us in and just sit in different places, and at different times, I want you to stand up and just start quoting Bible verses or do something like that. Are you kidding? The entire Muslim world would be arming themselves to attack. That's foolish America misinterpreting uh, freedom of speech. Your right to free speech only exists to the extent it doesn't compromise my right 
to be safe and to live. And we're inviting those who want to kill us into this very country. We don't have to be beaten from the outside. Come on in. Secondly, the grotesque immorality in our country will be our demise before any military force can. Listen, the studies indicate all of these well-known personages who commit acts of devious infidelity, whether they be Hollywood or politicians, after a period of laying low, emerge with full support as if it never happened. So just wait, and pretty soon you'll be seeing the sequel to Conan, Conan the Barbarian. You, you know, people will be rushing to the box office to shell out their seven bucks to see Arnold do his thing again. Why? Because we foolish Americans would rather be entertained. That's just how grotesquely immoral we have become. It is not the debt ceiling or the economy that's our biggest foe. It's our immorality and our foolish misinterpretation of the Bill of Rights that's going to do us in. So what does that mean? It means everything's happening just like God said. That's what it means. It means he's a right-on-time God. It means he sees the end from the beginning. It means I shouldn't be so worrisome and upset because my father neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's seated on the throne. Read Psalm 2. The nations of the world conspire against the king of kings. He sits on the throne and laughs. And you know him personally by name. Now, if we do, we ought to look at we ought not be walking around in a state of uh, uh, existential anxiety. If we really believe we know the Most High God personally through his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't say we should take these things lightly. If you think this Jewish guy is taking these things lightly, my people are going to be assaulted again. And a number of church people are going to join in. I know it's going to come. I know it's going to happen. It's going to make the Holocaust look like a walk in the park. I know it's going to come. If you don't think I'm not concerned about stuff, you're looking at the wrong guy. But I don't want that to extinguish the fire of God's Holy Spirit in me, which reminds me our God reigns. Go to sleep at night. If you're disturbed, get up and pray. Get up in the morning and pray. Follow the Lord Jesus with more intensity and passion than ever before. Put a smile on your face, even for those who would persecute you, that we might win some. The best thing that Jews can do, (laughs) Jewish believers, is to win their enemies to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they lay down their arms. There is no other, no other solution. So on the one hand, we don't look the other way. On the other hand, we don't demean nor disrespect the one occupying the highest office in the land. On the other hand, we vote intelligently, for sure. On the other hand, we pray even now, apart from the voting system, that God would turn the heart of the king so that God's redemptive plan could have full sway. We pray for believers around the world, like in Egypt. 
our president is lauding the overthrow of Hosni Mubarak, the dictator of Egypt. I, I think our president is too intelligent to really think this is a good thing. Because now if I asked you who's in charge of Egypt, I doubt you'll be able to tell me. Because the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist group in cahoots with Iran, is involved in Egypt. There's an Egyptian couple here with relatives there. They're Egyptian Coptic Christians. Your brothers and sisters in Egypt, mine, Christians, are under more persecution now than they ever were under Mubarak because there's nobody to stop the Islamists from wanting to kill them. They did a poll of the Egyptians and the vast majority is in favor of Sharia law, rule of the Quran, and no peace efforts with Israel. At least under Mubarak, he engaged in the peace process. Why? Because we bought him. Who are you going to buy now? It's such a more radical brand of things in the Middle East. So we get rid of Gaddafi. And our president seems to be targeting Assad in Syria. I don't know how he decides who to target. But anyway, he wants to get rid of Assad. Okay, Who's, who do you think is going to take his place? Do you think a more moderate person? So what does this mean? Jesus said, <coughs> I am the light of the world. John eight twelve. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That means even our very astute and articulate and intelligent leaders are in the darkness apart from Jesus who is the light. But so too would you be or I be. So what do we pray? Oh God, I pray that this one or that one would come into the light. That's what we pray. That's what we pray, both for our president, for the members of our Congress and all the rest. Sally? I only have, uh, we only have like uh, two minutes. Yeah, I am. Got to go. I met your aunt, by the way. Yeah, with the children who've converted to Islam. I'm afraid I have to cut it off here because we have, yes, you can be scared or you can be prayerful. It's up to you. Pass the test. Pass the test here. Use the weapon we have. Folks, I'm afraid we have to take leave of one another. I know I stirred things up. And isn't it convenient to me for ending the class now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord Jesus, you are on the throne. Can I pronounce a benediction upon you? Listen, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. God bless you. See you.